Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We come to a time a little closer to the present today and to a horse who helped us see in the millennium with style and brilliance. It didn't hurt that he had the perfect name that reflected the zeitgeist so well, although it wasn't the name he started with. Because the truth is, names matter. Just consider the serendipity of naming a champion French filly Alifrance, or of the Japanese horse making the biggest impression on his adoring public being called Deep Impact. The world's biggest racehorse owner and ruler of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, was only too aware of this. And so he did something that only seldom happens. He renamed a racehorse. As it turned out, it was an utterly inspired decision, because Dubai Millennium represented his owner's ubiquitous colours in a way that none of his regally bred thoroughbreds, before or since, has been able to match. It started prosaically enough. The son of Seeking the Gold was sent into training as a two-year-old at David Loder's Newmarket stables and was assigned the name Yaza, Arabic for white gazelle. Ironic, as the bay colt didn't have a single splash of white on him. But with an eye to showcasing the transformation of his home city-state into a global training and racing hub, Sheikh Mohammed was scanning his entire two-year-old string for a horse to be its flag-bearer and Yaza appeared to be the best prospect. Hence, in 1998, he was renamed Dubai Millennium. His sole two-year-old outing that October, over a mile at the English seaside course at Yarmouth, left an impression on many, winning by five lengths pulling up under Frankie Dottori. The decision was therefore taken to base him henceforth in Dubai, under the supervision of Saeed bin Surur. He thrived growing into a hefty animal over the winter. And when he reappeared at Doncaster, in the sponsorship club stakes, he walloped the opposition by nine lengths. The Epsom Derby loomed, so the recognised trial of the ten furlong predominant stakes at Goodwood later that month beckoned. Looking stunning in his coat, he breezed past the entire field, going away by three and a half lengths at the post. But the Epsom Derby was not to be. As his pedigree might have suggested, he patently didn't stay the 12 furlongs and pulled hard throughout, trailing in ninth behind Oath. It was clear, too, that his beefy build was never going to be suited to Epsom's idiosyncratic undulations. It was to be his only defeat. To rebuild his confidence, he was next sent to Maison Lafitte on the banks of the River Seine and the 10 furlong Prix Eugène Adam, where he powered home once more. Staying in France, he was then brought back to the mile, this time for Deville's summer showpiece, the Prix Jacques Le Marois, where, despite a quagmire ground blunting his natural speed, he ploughed through from the front to win easily by three lengths from a small but strong field. A final outing in the UK was planned at the Queen Elizabeth II stakes at Ascot, again at a mile, where de Tory punched Dubai Millennium clear in the final quarter mile, crushing the opposition by six lengths. Godolphin was convinced this was the classiest horse they had yet produced in their 
bear moth breeding programme. Yet, incredibly, the best was yet to come. Returning to winter in the Emirati warmth, Sheikh Mohammed mollycoddled the apple of his eye so much that after a bloodless warm-up victory to get used to the local dirt at Nadal Sheba, he would be tip-top for the richest race in the world at the time, the 10-furlong Dubai World Cup. The Sheikh's brainchild to bring Dubai racing properly into the global fold. But by the same token, it was somewhat more. As one British daily paper slyly remarked, the Dubai World Cup is not a race meeting at all, but a pageant of power, an expensively staged piece of one-upmanship, although everyone was having too much fun to really care. It was a race two years in the planning, and the fairy tale came true spectacularly. Taking the lead after just a furlong, the chunky bay piled on the pressure throughout against a properly international field, thundering clear by six lengths from US invitee Behrens in a lightning 1 minute 59 and a half seconds. If the Sheikh himself had written the script, it couldn't have been more word perfect. Dettori, by now like Madonna or Beyonce, universally recognised by the symbol name Frankie, was beyond effusive. I could afford to have a look round, he said, but I nearly broke my neck because I couldn't see anybody. I almost had tears of disbelief in my eyes. A palpable feeling of controlled destiny imbued the course that evening, and the Colt's official rating was now stratospheric. Three months later, in June, he jetted back to Royal Ascot for the Prince of Wales stakes, where he took on hitherto unbeaten French champion Myla Senderwar. This time, it was Jerry Bailey who was flown over from the US to sit on top, as Dettori had suffered nasty injuries from a horrific light aircraft crash that had claimed the life of the pilot. Nevertheless, the exuberant Anglo-Italian was cheering from the stands, plaster cast and all. Whether Senderwar, an exceptional miler by any standards, ran his true race was unclear, finishing a tame fourth. But even at his best, he wouldn't have held a candle to Dubai Millennium who skipped effortlessly to an eight-length victory. Noticeable then, as it had been at Nadal Sheba, was the incredibly high cruising speed that Dubai Millennium had. To the others, it felt like they were being led out by a pacemaker who was a sprinter. The difference here was that this pacemaker simply didn't relent. Bailey confirmed afterwards that he rated him the equal of Cigar. It is not traditionally all that common for many US racing fans and reporters to stretch their interests beyond their borders. After all, they have their own embarrassment of riches to keep them sated. But Dubai Millennium beeped on the radar of many. Consider this from an ESPN reporter. Is he the new secretariat? My fervent hope is that Dubai Millennium stays healthy, because it will give racing fans in the United States a chance to see one of the best horses ever. Yes. Ever. Further, with his monstrous performances on both turf and dirt, and only a few truly master both, there was no end of championship races across the Atlantic for him to choose from. First, though, Sheikh Mohammed wanted to settle something closer to home. He was now convinced that he had the best horse in the world, and was gagging to take on Monjou, the previous year's arc winner who that summer also claimed a jaw-droppingly impressive victory in the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth stakes. Although almost extinct as a concept in the UK, on the 4th of August, the Sheikh suggested a match race to Monjou's owners, 
it would be over 10 furlongs, the upper limit for Dubai Millennium, the lower limit for Montreux, and to be held at York or Newmarket or Ascot before the end of September, with an eye-watering purse of $6 million. Before anything was finalised, indeed, just as the idea was being made public, the fates intervened. On the 5th of August, just 24 hours later, Dubai Millennium shattered his leg on the gallops. His career was over, and thus the race to salivate over would never happen. But most importantly, outstanding veterinary intervention saved his life. It provided an eerie echo of the Mill Reef Brigadier Gerard saga 28 years previously. In retrospect, though, one wonders if, a quarter of a century after the ruffian horror show, it was actually a good thing to be spared another artificial race where anything could happen, good or bad. He was sent to Dallam Hall stud, but after covering less than a full book of mares, tragedy struck in April 2001. Dubai Millennium got grass sickness and was operated upon. Initially, there was a sense that all was not lost, with a press statement saying, while the stallion continues to remain in intensive care in Newmarket, his condition is diagnosed as critical but stable. We can offer a feeling of cautious optimism. But sadly, his condition worsened, and two further emergency operations were not enough to save him. A distraught Sheikh Mohammed made it his mission to buy up every offspring of his favourite son, including future Group 1 winner and star sire Dubawi. And when we watch again those colossal victories by this superhorse, who can blame him? To find out more about Dubai Millennium and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and share the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying... Thank you for listening.